Before we begin the episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Chin Up Goggles, the new generation of vision training. Its simplistic design eliminates downward vision, improving a player's spatial awareness, anticipation, skill acquisition and execution. The findings have been supported by scientific research in CIT, now MTU. Be sure to visit chinupgoggles.com for more. Welcome back to the Sideline Live podcast. You can follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at the Sideline Live. We'd love to hear from you. On episode 60, I'm delighted to be joined by DC Mercy Super League head coach Mark Ingram. In this episode, we discuss coaching men versus women, player responsibility, skills, the most underrated skill in the game, recognising talent, leadership, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi Mark, thanks a million for joining me on the podcast. You're welcome, delighted to be here. Before we get into your coaching career, um, I know your your family were heavily involved in sport, were they? Well, both families really, you know, like my um, my father's uh, family were big into boxing. And, um, the first uh, Irishman to ever win a European championship was Jimmy Ingle, so... And they were also into a bit of soccer. My father was one of the founder members of um, St. Kevin's Boys. And then he married um, my mother, obviously. And their family, like, had, they had two League of Ireland players, uh, Francis Swan and Tommy Swan, both played for bows and drums and shells. So I've kind of been immersed in it since I've been five years of age. Yeah, and where did the basketball you come take in? Up I the boxing now. Oh, did you not know? No, I, was, no. I was about to say, did you do any of the boxing or soccer? No, I went, I went down to Ringsend one day at about six years of age and got a few clatters. And that, <laughs> that, that you said that's enough. That was the stick to the soccer. Yeah. Um, the basketball took off, took off really when we moved house. We moved out from Ballybock out to. Um, I lived on the, the literally on the divide between Colester and Rahini. Okay. So I would have started playing basketball in the car park in Colester. And then, then I joined Colester Club. And then obviously I was playing in St. Paul's Rahini. And um, there was a priest there called Father Line, who was really well known for doing the basketball. He kind of did it at committee level and stuff. And he kept dragging me back to the game. You know, so like I wasn't that good at basketball or the coach didn't think I was that good. But I was pretty good at soccer. So... It was very hard to deal with being like not getting your game much or, you know, sitting on the bench. And, um, but the priest kept dragging me back. Come on, come on, come on back, come on. So eventually I went back and kept playing. And then I got a real interest in it. And, you know, um, you know, we formed Delta, Delta Basketball Club with Bride Saunders. You know, there was um, a girl section and then a men's section. And then... Um, started playing from there really and that developed my interest in it. When did you get involved in, in the coaching side of things? Well there was a girls team in Delta and uh, one of the guys on the men's team was supposed to coach them and um, he wouldn't anyway so I got roped into it and I got roped into it and then I said you know what I'll take an underage team and there was an underage team a couple of kids from Mercy College in Kulak so they were joining the club. So I went up to the school and um, started coaching the school teams. 
And then if you start doing well, then you get kind of interested in the Irish teams. So I coached the Irish under 15s and 16s for about between assistant coach and coach for about 10 years. And um, then really sort of made a life decision. Then there was a job came up in Loretto Fox Rock and I was printing at the time. But the printing was really changing, obviously, with, you know, mm-hmm. computers coming in and stuff. And, yeah. You know, the, the whole world was changing, really, like with uh, with the technology. So I just made the decision to go into coaching full time. And what do you see is the difference? I've asked a couple of coaches this uh, between coaching men and women. Do you change your approach much for, for when you deal with both genders? A million dollar question that every coach wants to know. Actually, we were out for a coffee last night with Mick Bowen from the Dublin Ladies and, and Gary Cal, who's a tennis coach. He's coaching a professional girl from Russia. And that was the topic of conversation. It's like it is, you know, the approach probably isn't the same. Maybe the way you deal with things is a little bit different. You know what I mean? In the management side of things, um, you know, the certain things you'll say to guys that you won't say to girls and vice versa but if any of the girls are watching this that I coach they're roaring laughing right now (laughs) he doesn't change his approach he doesn't care you're either doing your job as a basketballer or you're not you know there's a little bit of that but I think it depends on the personality of the coach you know yeah okay Mm -hmm. Uh, that makes sense I might hold back and um, use nicer language when I'm talking to the girl (laughs) Um, I don't know you know it yeah no, look, basically, most young players or boys or girls, they want to get better. Yeah. Know? And if they see, if they see if they know your stuff and you're going to make them better, you know, mm-hmm. they usually do it. Um, from my point of view, the girls will do exactly as you tell them. Like, I mean, if you say, for instance, we're going to cut to the basket, then we're going to set a screen over there and then there's going to be a down screen. They'll do exactly as it says on the tin. The guys might, you know, freelance a bit more. You know, that's usually what happens in basketball. Like the men's side of things and the boys' side of things is more freelance. And they, you know, they're they're more individualistic than the girls would be, you know. I think, you know, any good coach watching, watching the Super League over the last um, 10 years, 15 years, a lot of the good coaches have been in the women's side of things. Not saying that the good coaches aren't in the men, but they're two different types of game. Like the men be more, we're going down, we're passing the ball, we're shooting. The girls might go down the floor and go, hold on a second now, we have a play here and our coach wants us to run our play. But it also depends on the coach. You know, if the coach is a freelance coach, you know, like some of the coaches I come up against, they're probably shooting the ball after the first or second pass. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And some of the coaches that I watch in the girls, maybe are trying to copy what's going on in the NBA. Now, I don't know if that's the way to go. You know what I mean? But like, that's up to them. And so the style is evolving the whole time of who you're coaching against. You know, um, you know, both my sons are coaching. Sean is coaching out in Malahide, and Stephen's coaching in. Um, he's doing his PE in DCU, but he's um, okay. He's coaching in Loretto on the Greek. Now they'd be kind of a little bit, they, as they say themselves, a little bit more modern than me. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I refute that publicly on the sideline live. I refute that. But um, no, so it just it depends on you developing your style. You know, like I'd have no problem now. Um, you know, hooking up with them because they're they're all coaching in the club between Damien Seedy, Sean, Stephen, and myself. We've got a kind of a streamlined coaching where we have a kind of set menu, develop a style of play, and then you know they've got their own individual stamp on what they want to do as regards sets and plays and inbounds plays. You know, I'm not adverse to robbing a few of theirs. Yeah. You know. What, what, how do you find it watching your son's coach and it, starting off maybe, did you give them any advice? Don't go into coaching. <laughs> <laughs> and not, not. Um, no, they actually, you know, they kind of picked it up because they had a love for a love for basketball, you know? Yeah. So I didn't really influence, but obviously influence was there, you know, when they'd watched me coaching like DC Mercy for so long. And you know, they would have picked up on a lot of the, the stuff that I've, that I've done, you know. Mm-hmm. They'd be far nicer to me, I will say that. <laughs> and out of interest, you mentioned Mick Bowen there and the tennis coach. Is that something you do often where you connect with other coaches and share ideas or try pick out some of the stuff they're doing at all? Yeah, you would. You'd right. Like I'd, you'd, I'd meet Mick now for a coffee, you know, every couple of months. And obviously, you know, working with the dubs with him, you know, when you're sitting down at practice or before practice or you're sharing ideas the whole time, you know, mm-hmm. um, and vice versa, you know. But um, yeah, we would meet regularly, like even with Gary Cal, the tennis coach and, you know, how would you deal with this situation, you know, with this particular player? His is an individual sport, you know, whereas in team sport. But like players have individual problems when they're on the team or they can't make training, you know, which is like, what? You can't make training, you know? Why yeah. can't you make training? You know, and then it comes down to time management and then it comes down to, you know, well, if I don't make training, am I, am I going to play the next game? I'm, I'm going to start the next game. You know, but I'd be very much, you know, you have to let them off for exams. You have to let them off for certain things, right? Yeah. Um, But at the same time, if your spot is in jeopardy, like, I don't mean your spot is in jeopardy. You're playing well, but someone's been training three times a week. You only made one. You're not starting ahead of her. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not her fault that you have exams. Or you're studying for an exam, you know, or whatever, whatever the deal is, you know, they're going away yeah. for a few days. You know, yeah. you go away in the middle of the season and we've an important game. You're kind of putting your spot under pressure, not me. I think like the fair system where everybody, like that probably goes back to when I played in school where I was probably training all the time. I didn't miss training and someone who wasn't training might get picked ahead of you. And I couldn't stand that, you know? Yeah. So, Within reason, like within reason, um, you train, you play. And I think my sons have picked that up. You train, you play. If you're not trained, you're not playing. Yeah, I would be, I coach underage GEA and I would be, the, I would think the same along those lines. Out of interest, with your time with Mick and with Jim, I'm not going to ask too much about football, but was there anything you picked up from the setups or the culture and is there anything like GA looks at basketball a lot but out of interest is there anything that basketball coaches can pick up from GA at all do you think 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, um, the two setups with Jim and Nick are first class. You know, like it's a high performance environment for both the men and for women. And both of them have to be credited with, you know, how they've done that. And, you know, when you go into the setup at the start, I'm, you're kind of sitting back and taking it in. So, you know, I'd probably be jealous of both the setups. We'd love that for basketball, but like, you know, you just don't, you just don't have access or the funding to, to do the same thing, even though um, I'd be quite proud of the way our club and we, the way we have set up um, these two mercy with Ken Robinson and then lately with James Galvin, who's the head of sport in DCU. And he's been fundamental in bringing the, scho- the scholars into DCU and also through Sport Changes Life. So we've kind of put things together in a way to make the environment um, better. And really anybody that comes to play for us, they only have to worry about basketball. They don't have to worry about anything else, you know. So I probably learned that from Jim and from Mick, as well as like how to, you know, talk to players and, um, you know, they're obviously dealing with like 35, 40 players. It's not the same dealing with 10 or 12, yeah. you know, it's an awful lot easier, you know. Um, but there are similarities and definitely like if I, what, what I see now is like basketball used to have, um, particularly the, the structure under Tom Collins, say 20 years ago, they have what the GAA have now. You know, GAA have the structure, right? They even put it in the program for the All Ireland final, the LGFA, about how they're in every school and the club. And um, basketball used to have that. Okay. It's still strong enough, but not as strong because you've got the influence of the GAA. But probably the perfect Gaelic player is a Gaelic player that has been coached in basketball. And a really good basketball player would have the toughness of a GAA, you know, a GAA player. You know? So, like, good examples of that would be Lindsay Pete. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at, looking at the league, most of the good but the tough basketball players probably played GAA at a good level. Like Jen Dunn, though, played basketball with Loretta Dockey. And she's having a fantastic career already and she's only 22. So it just shows the crossover because she was a technically, let's say, a geosport athlete. And I think she plays camogie as well. Yeah, she, um, you know, she would have, would have had picked up good habits from, from the basketball, you know. Like certainly as regards, you know, the passing and, you know, drawing a player and making a pass one way, maybe looking the other way. Big bone will kill her saying that. But, <laughs> Are you getting all the girls to do no look passes at double no training? Is it? Passes. Is there any other type of pass? Other coaches have heart. Sorry, other coaches have heart attacks. There, they've heart attacks if you if you go no look pass. You know. Yeah, exactly. Out of interest, I was going to ask about Lindsay. Um, what was your first impression of her? Because she did say in a previous interview that maybe when she was younger, she was probably slightly uncontrollable, and you really stuck with her, particularly um, when she joined your your setup. Slightly uncontrollable. <laughs> I've given her the benefit of doubt there. 
Well, Lindsay, look, I learned, I said this in an interview that Lindsay was like Braveheart, you know, you couldn't really control her, you know, like you could discipline her if, you know, if it was, you know, outrageous, you know what I mean? She had a fiery spirit, which would end up in kicking the basketball the odd time, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, that's okay, but I wasn't having any of that, you know what I mean? But um, at the same time, you know, it was really, Lindsay, just get back in line and let's go. Come on, you're better than that. And, you know, and she usually was. And she'd come back and, like, for so, for such a tough um, athlete, you know, like, she played basketball tough. She played Gaelic tough. She played, you know, rugby tough, you know. Mm-hmm. For such a tough athlete, um, she's very sensitive, actually, as a person. You know, great person, great person. Um and so you've got a good mix in there, you know. She had all the qualities to make it at whatever she wanted to do, you know. Could you tell that from kind of very early on that you said this is this is a really special athlete here and she's gonna go on and have success? But she was passed over on Irish teams when I was involved in the set in the set in the setup. You know, I might have been coaching that exact age group, like I'd have been coaching the sixteens and she'd have been approaching under eighteen. And she was a real ball, but they they overlooked her for the national team. She only made her national debut as a senior. Mm-hmm. You know, she never played underage as far as I, I remember. And I thought that was a travesty. You know, sometimes politics get in the way. Yeah. You know, so, but like she, any of those coaches that didn't pick her, you know, they must be looking back now going, my God, what did I do? You know, and that no doubt drove her on when she was captain of DC Mercy win the National Cup and she also captained the senior Irish international basketball team, mm-hmm. you know. And I know that even when she said to me, look, I'm going to give the rugby a go, you know, I had no doubt she was going to be successful. Yeah. You know. You did mention there that she had the qualities to have success what would you, or, and to be a brilliant athlete, what are those qualities um, that you see in these elite level athletes that you come across? Um, well, she has first determination and she wants to be better, you know, in every aspect of her game. So you see those rare qualities in kids. Um, the kids now probably don't, they, they're probably out being coached five or six times a week, you know, between right. school and club, you know. But the Lindsay Pizza this world and Suzanne McGuire's and all, they were all Sharon Kelly, Tara Fitzsimons, all these players that came through our program, like they played outdoor basketball, you know, in their school. I'd go up and put on the, the ghetto blaster as it was at the time. And I'd leave it on and they'd play 3v3 and 2v2 and 4v4. And they were just mad to play basketball. But like, you probably don't see that as much now with the outdoor stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely changed. Out of interest then, when you have a team of a lot of let's say individual talent and I know you've been involved in pretty phenomenal Irish teams like Susan Moore and Michelle Aspel Michelle Fahey um, how do you balance the individual talent and form it into a team because I think that's probably something maybe coaches don't realise it's actually sometimes very difficult to bring together a bunch of very successful individuals it is because you've got the star player in their club each one of them and then you're trying to put them onto a national team and you know, someone that's used to starting all the time, 
you know, you may have to put on the bench. Yeah. You know, and explain to them that their role is going to be different on this team. But um, the girls are generally good at buying into that. You know, okay. there's kind of a hierarchy that sort of a hierarchy, sorry, sorry, that uh, it's kind of natural. You know, when they go into practice and they go, my God, so I didn't realize Susan Moore was this good. You know, yeah. didn't realize Michelle Faye was this good. You know, I'd probably be on the bench. They're, they know themselves, you know. I'd probably be backing up Michelle Faye. You know, that's the way they're thinking, I would imagine, you know. Yeah. And then on the other side of that, <clears throat> say compared to the men's, like if you take a Darren McConnelly, you're not, you're not really telling him he's on the bench, are you? You know, that type of thing. So, you know, even though Jim did, but... Um, the girls would be far more uh, aware of the girls supporting them. Okay. But the guys might be, you're not getting my spot no matter what happens. You know what I mean? You can drag, drag me off this pitch or drag me off the court, you know, or you better have a good reason for taking me off. You know, that, you know, that's kind of the way I felt myself. So I could imagine that's the way they feel, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. And when you start with a new team, like for example, DC Mercy starting this year, and I know some of the players will still, you know, they'll come back every year. But when you get a new team together, new players for the first session, how do you start? Do you have a structure that you usually go through or do you change it up year to year? It's a good question. Um, this year was strange because we're coming back after 18 months. With um, I'm, I usually try and figure out what type of team we have. Okay. You know, and I mean that, like, are we going to be a really good offensive team? Are we going to be a good defensive team? Where defense would probably be our mainstay. We want the players to express themselves on offense. And then we're trying to figure out, like, how many points you need to win a game, right? Probably 80. Where are we going to get 80 points? How are we going to, who are we going to run the ball through? Who are we, like, who's our best passer? Who's our best rebounder? Um, have we forgotten like certain stuff that we used to do? You know, like certainly the team that won two years ago with Meredith Burkhall and um, that that team with Sarah Woods, right? It's a completely yeah. different team than the team that's there now. So Sarah Woods departed. Um, she's playing Division One drop down because she has a young baby and stuff. And we had to figure out well, where do we get the extra twenty points from? Yeah, you know, so we have to share that and. We might run more dynamic plays for certain for certain individuals. And then obviously when you have two Americans coming in, you've got to fit them into your system and they would have played a certain way. So you're trying to, you know, they would have come from a different system. So we might take one or two of their plays that they had in college and adapt it to the team rather than have okay. to adapt everything to us, you know. Okay. So we're still trying to figure out this team at the moment. But, you know, we're hanging in. We're like near the top of the league. We're in the semis of the cup, you know. There's, there's an awful lot more in this particular squad. You know? And when you're figuring out the type of players, I know you're still trying to now, but particularly maybe at the start of the year, let's say not this year because COVID has really hampered things, but are you running um, loads of games at practice just to see how they actually play in a game? Because the thing I've discovered with coaching recently was we were training the girls for so long, but because there was no games, we couldn't see them in matches and you train to play matches and you train to win matches. So it was actually funny kind of seeing them play for the first time. Yeah. Um, 
I'd more do game scenarios rather than matches. I think okay. way too many coaches do matches. Okay. Like we'll do a few drills and let's have a match. You know. Yeah. Now, I don't know what. Like obviously, you're you're 100 right. When you see matches against the opposition, you'll see what they're able to do or what they can't do. But yeah. as regards the training, I honestly think most coaches. Like if it's 10 minutes of shooting and 10 minutes of drills in any sport and then a match at the end, you know, I don't know really what you're going to gain from that type of a match. You know, might put them into game-like scenarios, you know, maybe, you know, a short, a short match because you want to run a play. Or if it was Gaelic, you might say, right, okay, we're going to practice against the blanket defense, you know, for 10 minutes, or we're going to transition, we're going to work on our transition back to defense for 12 minutes, or we're going to do it the other way, we're going to attack this team in transition, or we're going to do kickouts for 10 minutes, or, yeah. you know, no, if you put that all into a match, say for 40 minutes, you might see three or four kickouts, two or three, trains. they might set up for two, two times with the, with a zonal defense. So mm-hmm. what are you really, what are you writing down after that as a coach? What did I learn there? Or, you know, Jenny played well in that match or, you know, um, Paul Flynn played well in that match. You know, does that mean you're going to start them in the next match? You know, I, I'd like to see a consistency in training where they're, they're playing well, they're shooting well, they're, you know, they're running well, they're, they, they just look like they're ready to go. And then I think also to leave them a little bit hungry to play the match is always a good thing. Okay. You know, leave a little bit of a taster. Yeah. Know. Yeah, exactly. And how much out of interest when you run a training session, how much is of it is the fundamental skills and trying to balance, yes, you need to do these plays and get this stuff right, but when you go to a game, you still need to be able to execute the fundamentals. Well, to give you an example, one year I concentrated with DCU Mercy on just individual skills. We didn't do okay. tactics. We had a broad offense, five people out on the court, just five out, and we concentrate on reading the defense. But we did individual skills the whole year. Did no tactics, right? The next year, I only did tactics, probably because I was getting a bit bored, you know what I mean? Taking it up changing it up for myself. But there was very little difference in the results. Okay. You know, so I think you need a mix of everything, you know. But we would certainly be skill-based session most of the time for us. Okay, okay. And what do you see as the most underrated or overlooked skill in the game at the moment? What are we, in what are we missing? In basketball, yeah. What are we missing as coaches? In basketball, in soccer... And in Gaelic football, finishing. Okay. Finishing is the key. You know, go to any game you've coached or you've lost, you'll be regretting, oh, we missed that shot or we didn't execute this. Or, you know, I don't remember losing too many games, A, because of fitness, B, because we didn't run a play, C, maybe defensively we made a mistake where you can be guaranteed 
there was some finishing in there that we, you know, there wasn't enough of. I would, you know, maybe going forward, I'll probably concentrate more on finishing. Okay. And is that, do you think some of that is down to like the mental side of things? Because I've had conversations, I had a great conversation with Jenny Cody and we were saying how at the end of a game, let's say you're two points down and one of your star players hits a three-pointer to win the game. And is it down to their character or is it their ability? Do you know what I mean? So it's like that mental side of being able to finish in, let's say, a cup final, free throws. That's that's a really big one in basketball. Just everyone, you, you can kind of psych yourself out really with a free throw. Yeah, because you see, the free throw is a special skill. You have to walk up to the line. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as important, but it is as important at the start of the game as the end of the game. But if it's a young kid taking the free throw, they've time to think about the shot. You know, yeah. so you probably need to practice that. You know, take your time, get your routine. Well, you do need to practice. Get your routine. Yeah. You know, and be confident. You know, mm-hmm. like yesterday in the school game, we had four free throws in the last minute. We missed the four of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they're young kids. And I'm, I've no doubt. Like, it didn't matter what I said. I said, look, you're, you're going to be the hero here. You're going to make these two free throws. Now, we were one up. And she missed them. And then the next player missed them. And that was the player we wanted to get fouled. But she missed them. And we won by one because they held on. You know what I mean? But they yeah. probably, they trusted their defense, you know. So that's always a good thing to have, you know, uh, in your back pocket is that if your team is sound defensively, they're trusted to stop the other team when they have to, you know. Mm-hmm. Like in fairness, taking a free throw at the end of the game, it's almost like, you know, going to a swimming gala and you're not very good a swimmer. You have to dive into the water. So all that stuff goes on in your head. And yes, you can practice for it. But like, that's the reason there's so many books out on sports psychology and what Mm. we did. And like, why is a world star missing a four foot putt? Yeah. You know, because they perceive it as, um, you know, big pressure putt. It's worth $2 million or, but it's only a four foot putt. Yeah, exactly. Do you use sports psychology with with your team at all? All the time, you know, all the time you're like, you're using messaging the whole time, you know, you're using colour, you're using, you're using games, you're using um, examples like the All Blacks or your, you know, the Dublin teams, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, all the time. Without having a, an assigned sports psychologist. Yeah. Back to the Gaelic football, you know, they have the funding to do that. They would have that. We we can't afford that. So yeah. most coaches are part-time psychologists anyway, you know. And it's really to try and get the players into the best space that they can to play. Yeah, that makes sense. I was reading online before you said in an interview that you watch a lot of the games from the corner of the court. Can you talk us through why you do that and what was the kind of thinking behind it? That was very simple. One of the greatest coaches, well, probably the greatest coach of all time, is John Wooden. Yeah. And he always watched practice from the corner of the court because it gives you um, the complete view of the court of the court without having to turn your head. You can take everything in. So even if you're, and I was a point guard, so if you're a point guard and you go to the outlet position, which you know of, yeah? Yeah. From that position, you can see the whole court. 
you can't see it from the middle of the court, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just good to take it in. You can also, it's better for judging the speed that the game is going at. Okay. That's just for okay. now, you know. For all those yeah. young coaches out there, it's a good thing to do. Um, yeah. If we're under a little bit of pressure, I you were gone down a couple of baskets. Un- unknowns to myself, I go down to the corner of the court. Just a habit. Yeah. Well, it's a habit. It's a good habit, though. It allows me to get away from the bench. It allows okay. me to get away from the noise. I remember seeing, and then I try and see things a little bit clearly. And as I said, I think you're able to judge the pace of the game and certain things and maybe the plays a little bit better, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. It works, um, it works in, in soccer and Gaelic too. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I've, my next training Gaelic, session, I might try it. So long. Yeah, I mean? yeah, that's true. Binoculars Ed, be good. Yeah, that's you need a telescope uh, for for the corner. Um, I had a great question in from James. He wants to know who was the best combined player and coach duo that you've come up against. So it's not the best player or coach, but when they're together, they're like an unbeatable combo. So in other words, some player playing out of their skin for, but a particular coach. No, it's it's a coach and a player that gel really well together, and you've just that they're 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 very good duo together so they're not necessarily it's not the individual that's the, the better but when they're together as a coach and a player they get the best out of each other okay the best i've seen best example of that that i've seen was a long time ago when liam harting was coaching a fella called david gately an american player now obviously back in the 80s they had loads of superstar players over here you know, Kelvin Troy, mm-hmm. um, all these guys, you know, um, Terry Smith, Ray Smith, Jasper McElroy. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're fantastic players, right? But the best coaching example was, would have been David Gately. He was about six foot three, white guy. Just every play that he ran, the coach ran, Liam Hartigan ran for him. Your man knocked down the shot. Okay. Going, boom, boom, boom. So, if that's what you mean, I think that that was yeah. the example that I've ever seen. Yeah, that, that's exactly what he was looking for. Um, I was going to ask about um, basketball in Ireland. And at the moment, we're seeing a lot of younger kids go abroad. For example, uh, one of your former players, Brona Paracassidy, she's having a lot of success in Holy Cross. CJ Fulton was named Player of the Week there for the Patriot yeah. League. Why do you see how, what's happening in Ireland that we're seeing kids go abroad and not only go abroad, but ha- have success? Um, well, those two particular players, Brona and CJ, obviously their family. I mean, Brona's father played for me with Malahide. And then obviously she's been with DC Mercy since she was four years of age. So they've got a lot of good coaching with their family and through the club. And obviously with CJ, with Belfast Star and then and his father, Adrian. So, mm-hmm. you know, they've been immersed in basketball. Um, I think like the, the coaching in basketball at underage is pretty, pretty good level. You know, so the kids seem to be very adaptable when they go over to the States, you know, um, and they tend to flourish because maybe there's not that much of a jump. Okay. You know, in certain certain cases, you know. Yeah. Um, like I always ask my Americans that, like, you know, Meredith Burke, Burke Hall, the American from two years ago, she went to Iowa State. And that's big 12. And I said, what 
score would you beat our team? She said 40. You know, um, we played St. Joe's with half a team with just Lindsay, no Americans. We lost by six. You know, so it's hard to know, but like the, if the girls were training six, seven days a week the way they were in the States, they'd go, I'm sure to be far more of them doing well, you know. Mm-hmm. When you're lo- when you're looking at bringing in Americans, um, is there anything in particular particular that you look for? Like I know they'll obviously give you the game film, the resume, but what stands out to you, and what do you look for when you're picking your two players? Um, I had a very good conversation with Michael Jordan's college coach. He did a a seminar over in the National Basketball Arena about thirty years ago, and I put that question to him, and he said, "Get two good people." Brilliant. And if you get two good people, you'll go a long way because there's usually very little difference like in the actual skill ability. Obviously, we'll get the the highlight tape. We'll get the resume. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm lucky enough, I tend to go for certain leagues. Okay. You know, um, like, for instance, if they're coming in on a scholarship to DCU, True Sports Changes Life, um, you'd be looking at, like, the, the likes of the Patriot League or the Horizon League or the CAA or, yeah, you know, we're probably not going to be getting the players from the ACC. Yeah. You know, so usually there'll be something in the resume and there'll be something on the tape that they'll do and you go, yeah, I can definitely work with this player, you know. Okay. But there is an element of when they come over, you're not really sure what you can do. Okay. Or how much you can get out of them, you know. We, we, like, I spent a lot of time in the summer recruiting, so it's not an accident, you know. Um, Before we go, if we have to go through an agent or, you know, even with Sport Changes Life, you know, they'll they'll have people applying for their system and we'll, I'll have been recruit. I'd probably looking at players now for two years time. Who's come, like, for instance, you know, who's coming out of Brona's college next year? Well, Brona, what's she like? Great player, Mark. You love her. You know, she's exactly the type our, our team needs, you know? So yeah. that type of thing, you know, Susan Morn is a great help, you know, with, um, with players she, she she hears of players that maybe want to come over in Ireland and try that experience and um, Bailey Greenberg is playing with us now that's basically how she came she'd applied to sport changes life but Susan Morn our dad played here so that was an easy reference and Susan said she's a great kid you know so if you can get her Mark take her so we did out of interest, when you have players that, let's say, let's say you're coaching me and uh, we have a conversation after training and I'm not particularly playing well and you kind of put it up to me or you're not playing well, but I don't accept the responsibility of my actions and I'm looking for excuses or blaming other things. How do you deal with that type of player that doesn't accept the 100% responsibility? So you're telling me you're not playing well. All right. Yeah, so you're you're telling you, me not playing well. Sorry, you're telling me I'm not playing well, yeah. And you're I probably know well. in my head. Well, we have to get you back to playing well. That's the that's the key here, you know. Mm. So <clears throat> why are you not playing well, Orla? Uh probably because I'm not prepared enough. 
and yeah probably that okay usually I'd find Arla that when players are not playing well they're trying to make it more difficult than it is so okay maybe keep it simple to start okay do a couple of things try and do a couple of things well in the next practice session you know and we build from there but it's not easy you yeah. know you might do something and then I might be I might be in practice going good job or that's what I want no, no, more of that, or let's go. Yeah. And if you can build on that, then, you know, suddenly you're back playing the way you think you should be playing. And yeah. more importantly, you'd be playing the way I think you should be playing. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there is that. But there's sometimes, no matter what you say or what you do, you know, you just, you can't get that. It's usually in their head, isn't it? It's usually in Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I, I would imagine keeping it simple or doing something really like concentrate on your defense or concentrate what do you do well or you know yeah. what 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 do you what do you see as your 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 key set of skills yeah what do you do well what do i do well yeah. not, not much not much at all and no that's not true <laughs> yeah, come on probably uh i don't know probably shooting but I'm not a good shooter so that tells you how, how my basketball career So you do shooting well but you're not a good shooter? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's take shooting. Where are you shooting from? Um, Probably the mid-range. Don't so have a three-pointer. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. And many of them are you knocking in and practice out of ten? Five. Well, you shouldn't be shooting that shot, Arla. Okay. Okay, so... When you're knocking in six plus, right? Yeah. Okay. You can shoot that shot in the game. So we we would do some drills like that, right? So out of 10 shots, you got to make seven. Or, you might have to make six, seven out of 10, eight out of 10. And is that is that a conversation you have with players a lot? Like when, you, yep. when you're doing a shooting yep. drill, it's... Yeah. Like you've got to be like, you've got to prove to me that you can shoot before you... Like if... There's no point telling me you're a three-point shooter and you haven't shown me you can shoot three-point shots. Yeah, that makes so sense. So we were to shoot for five minutes, okay? You can try this now, right? Yeah. You shoot for five minutes. How many shots do you think you should make from 15 feet? Uh, Someone rebounded now. You're shooting. Five minutes, that's a long time. It um, is. Yeah. Have you ever shot for five minutes? No, not yeah, from no one spot anyway. Oh, no good, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what I need to start doing. Oh, like, seriously, my fellas not putting the ball over the bar. How many yeah. shots did you take from that spot in training, yeah. before training, after training, on your own, down St. Anne's Park? How many did you put over the bar from there? Oh, sure, it wasn't down there. Well, how do you expect yeah. better then? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's a certain amount. They're, like... I haven't kicked a soccer ball in, besides an odd five-a-side, in about 15 years, right? But if you threw a ball at me now, I could trap it and pass it. And the reason that is, I've done that for so long as a kid and hours and hours and hours of just playing football that I've never really forgot, right? Yeah. Now, the first match that I'd play in a five-a-side now, right, I'd be a bit, I wouldn't be razor sharp. But yeah. after four or five weeks, I'd be getting sharper and sharper and sharper, you know. Yeah. Golf. If you're practicing your golf and you're playing your golf, you're playing well. If you're not, you're you're only self to blame, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah exactly. 
Look, it's it's almost like how much are you willing to put into it? Yeah. Like That's for almost, instance, yeah. for instance, I had this conversation with my team the other a few weeks ago, right? Big big period coming up. You know, we're playing Liffey in the cup. We've got a couple of big games. First 10 minutes before practice, what are the girls doing? Shooting or practicing? No, they're not. They're talking. Oh. <laughs> they're talking. Right, yeah. It's important, but so is shooting. You know, like, could you spend five minutes shooting? You know what I mean? And then I had a little word with one of the Americans on her own. And she mm-hmm. started coming in a bit earlier shooting. And then mm-hmm. the next person joined her and the next person joined her. Mm-hmm. And now they were mixing the shooting and the talking, but they're at least getting in some shooting. Yeah. You know, exactly. it's all those little stories like who's going to stay back after practice to, to take a few shots. Yeah. You, know, you missed four free throws the last game. What are you going to do about it? You have to like take some more free throws. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. so it's all those little builders, little Lego blocks that mm-hmm. ride through a season, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you seem to give your players a lot of responsibility. Is that something you've you've always done as a coach? Like, for example, there, if I miss four three four free throws, would you expect me then to be a training five minutes early doing my free throws? Like, that's the kind of sense I'm getting from the conversation. Now you're getting it. I mean, that's the way it works. Like, if somebody, look, I saw a little example here, right? Um, we've a little Spanish, a Spanish girl playing with us this year, right? Mm-hmm. Nice kid, you know, new to the system. And we have these training tops, right? Yeah. And um, we can't get training tops now because of Brexit and, you know, we used to get ours from Greece, right? So I'd given out the last training top because you run out of them eventually. Yeah, yeah. So this one had no training top. So, you know, we told her to bring a black T-shirt and a white T-shirt. But what I didn't know was one of the Americans had given her her training top. So she had, say, a black and a red one and a blue, a navy and a sky blue one. She gave her the club one so she'd feel part of the team. Now, that's a great sign for me of leadership. And when I see those little things happening, you know, it's it's really good for the team, you know. Or someone like, let's say they, hope the girls are not watching this, right? But... uh, (laughs) Let's I'll send them all they, the link now, Mark. Yeah. yeah. Let's say they text. Let's say they text. Can't make train. Right. Or someone picks the phone up. Listen, Mark, I'm really struggling. You know, lab. I can't make train tonight. And I'm gone. That took a little bit of courage now to um, yeah. pick up the phone and ring me to tell me you can't come training. Yeah. But that also shows a little bit of leadership and a little bit of responsibility. So all those kind of little things. Now, you might have to remind teams of like leadership and, you know, how to bring themselves together. And, you know, um, I'd say the five minutes before myself and Damien go into the dressing room, you know, the teams tend to have their own like powwow to sort out what, what needs to be done for the second half. So usually then you're probably just, reaffirming what they've said you know the funny thing is when i go in and say right girls what we're talking about tell me they never tell me <laughs> do you know what i mean but i get a good i get a good giggle out of that well come on yeah. keep going keep going 
what were you saying? <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay, coach. And for example, like with my girls that they're underage or any coaches listening, how do you develop a leader? Like obviously the different personalities will take over and different experiences like that. Like people come from America, but how do you teach leadership? You know, the, the leaders usually announce themselves in little ways. If you watch them for a little while, you know, they obviously group before the training, do they? And just watch who's doing, like who's doing the talking among the group. You know what I mean? Um, like little, little things, like if I had that age group, even though like I'm in the hall and I could send them out to the equipment room to get the shot clock for basketball. Yeah. If I send them out for the shot clock and then five minutes later, I have to send somebody else out to get them, right? That first person is probably not going to be the leader. Yeah. You know, where you can almost sense it. Like, the, you know, the kid that's going to find, you know, the shot clock are going to find their way. Yeah. Or they don't know how to do that. They'll ask somebody, you know, so they yeah. kind of announce themselves, you know. There's an interesting run. There's a kid there in first year right now. And, um, She's a natural leader, right? But like the sports coordinator come up to me the other week and think, I think she's going to be the head girl in six years' time. And I go, how do you know that? And she just goes, I know. Well, there you go. You know what you know. You know what I mean? So they, they will produce themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. On a Gaelic team, at that age, you might need a couple. Yeah. It's yeah, such a big pitch, you know? Yeah, exactly. Or three. Mm-hmm. How do you teach um sort of communication? Because I'm finding with the team that it's funny, whenever you go near, it's kind of similar. They'll stop talking. But even amongst themselves, like, and I observe from afar, and let's say during a drill or during a match situation or whatever, the, the communication isn't there. And it's funny because some of them play basketball and I would expect that to translate over. Obviously, some of this is now their confidence and self-esteem. But for a team that isn't communicating, how do you how do you approach that and how do you teach it? Well, I have a bit of a laugh with this one because um, if you go into training session with even with our team, I mean the, the amount of conversations that are going on and the talk and it's yeah. amazing. And they get on the court, they don't talk. Why is that? Uh, not sure. They don't talk as much as boys as as lads do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe that's from an early age, you know, playing sport or whatever. Maybe girls come in to sport a little bit later. You know, um, there's no doubt women are far better conversationalists than boys, right? We all know that. But for some reason, when they go on the court, like, they definitely don't communicate. There's not like, give me the ball, give me the ball. There's none of that. Like, I just, maybe you learn that when you're a kid. You know, I, yeah, I don't know. It's I think it's I think it's a real struggle. Is you'll usually hear with women's team, oh, we need to communicate better. Yeah, and like I'm listening at this stage. I'm usually going in my head. If you communicated at all, it'd be fantastic. Do you know what I mean? But also, you know, like I've seen this with basketball coaches. You know, like ball, 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 ball. <sighs> Waste of time. Like okay, you know. Yeah. Say stuff that's going to actually help, you know, and say it early, like screen left, screen right, you know, yeah. be here. I don't need any help. I'm good. 
I'm good here. I'm good. Like, yeah. for instance, I asked a group there, um, had they watched The Last Dance? These are all good basketball players. Yeah. Out of 15, two. Wow. Wow. That's a wow. You know, and like, when you watch that, the communication with the players is unbelievable. Yeah. If you're mic'd up on an NBA, you know, an NBA floor or a, a good, like if you want to be a good basketball team, you have to talk. Yeah. You know, like, I suppose myself and Damien just relay, relay our, our playing experience. Like, we have a drill that we do for shooting, right? You call the shot that you want on the break. Okay. You dribble down the floor, you say bank, and we give you the ball and shoot a bank shot. Yeah. <clears throat> say 15. Go on, Arla, what shot are you shooting? 15 footer, there you go. Your favorite shot. <laughs> favorite shot that you can't shoot. And then we do the same with the three, right? Yeah. I guarantee you, we go straight into a scrimmage. They won't do that. Guaranteed. Because yeah. maybe they don't value it enough. Yeah. You know? Like the same the same drill when I coached Calester, right? We'd have Adrian push the ball down the floor, Adrian Fulton. Yeah. And then our American was John Leahy. He just go three. And Fulty would throw the ball behind him. And John Lee would nail the tree on the on the as a trailer on the break. And that used to kill teams. But we practiced that. What I'm saying is. It's very hard to get the girls to do that, to do that, you know, consistently. Yeah. I, I did read an, uh, an article one time about getting girls to, like, be physical. Yeah. Right. So it's not a natural thing for, like, women going around boxing each other around the place. <laughs> it's not natural. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not born that way, not made that way. But he used to put them in the key. And literally get them to push, push each other for two minutes, push and shove each other out of the key, just to get them used to pushing and shoving. You know what I mean? So maybe it has to be trained. You yeah. Know? Yeah, that's interesting. I was going to ask, um, from your coaching experience, how do you think you've evolved as a coach from, from starting off to now? Have you seen a big evolution? Have you noticed anything you'd, you'd change majorly? Well, I think you're always involved in the coach. I know that's a kind of a stock answer, but um, like, you're, I'm definitely trying different different stuff each time. You know, okay. it's trial and error, error. What you see, what works, and you know, the beauty for me is I was I was thinking about this the other day, like more so with um, you know Gaelic football because I've done a lot of that in the last few years, right? Particularly in the summer, and. Like, how do you want the game to be played? What type of game do you want to play? What game do you think they, your team wants to play? You know, yeah. do they want to play a big defensive game or do they want to play, do they want to play an attractive style of football or basketball? What type of game do you want to see? And you're kind of always aiming for, you know, how did we play? How did we perform? Did we play the way that we're training? You know, yeah. is an attractive style. Is good to look at. You know, like even just thinking back on my soccer career, you don't really remember all the wins. You know, the trophies. I remember dunking a fella. You know what I mean? Putting the ball through his legs, and like because I was so I so wanted to do that, and like I do that loads of times. And like if I did it once a week, you know, not making somebody or making a great <laughs> corner. 
you know, doing something that, you know, you'd seen on the telly or, you know, I think maybe that's lost a little bit in sport now, you know. I think, yeah, the creativity. You know, look, the amount of criticism, I was just saying this last night, that Ronaldo has got because he doesn't fit in the system and he won't press and he won't do this and he won't do that. And I'm going like, this guy has like over 800 goals leading the Champions League, leading Manchester United scoring in the Champions League. You know, last five matches I remember he scored and like the guy's 36, but in great shape and all. So Mm -hmm. why would you not have him in your team? You know what I mean? Like systems, systems don't win. Systems don't win championships. Players win championships. You know, players can fit into a system, yeah. But you have to have a bit of artistry in there as well. You know, there has to be room for players to express themselves. You know, yeah. it's probably the joy of sport, expressing yourself, you know, in whatever game you're playing. Exactly. Um, from your career as well as a coach, what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned from sport? Don't lose. Um, no, you, there's loads of lessons in sport, you know. Um, you know, they always say it's the journey, you know, and, and it is. And it's it's the people that you meet. Like, if you're a professional in, in the game, obviously you're getting paid and it becomes a job and all that stuff. If you're non-professional and you're involved in sport, you know, it's the stories you're going to have when you're, you know, old, when you're old like me and you're sitting down with coaches and, you know, it's having those stories and the fun. And yeah, from all my meetings with coaches or people that are involved in the sport, they're never talking about when we won this game by a point and that, you know, they were talking about something that happened to the, on the way to the match or, you know, yeah. or how did this situation or a player not doing what he's told but it was a funny situation you know so that's probably you know what one will learn from coaching mm-hmm. you know so obviously everybody feels better when you win you know you know your best I think that when you prepare for a game and you do everything possible right and lose by a point even though your team has played great. Like they say, that's the ultimate satisfaction, you know, but you've still lost the game by a point. There's always something more you could have done, you yeah. know, and that's the way I kind of figure it. What could I have done more to help this team win? Okay. And do you do that at the end of this year or is it maybe during a year or after a particular match? Would you kind of reflect a lot during the season? The end of every week, or that I'd be doing that. Okay. You know, um, you do it more when you lose rather, you know, than when you win. Yeah. But like we have a game now on Saturday. So, you know, we practice tonight. So the session's already made out. That might be tweaked this afternoon sometime, you know, but we'd be having a look towards the opponent. But like at the end of the day, tomorrow, like we'd want, we'd want to win, you yeah. know. So that we, we know we can still, you know, stay near the top of the league and be in position to be challenging, you know, for the trophies. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Out of interest, if you could go anywhere in the world and watch any team or coach for a week, who would it be and why? 
who would it be and why? I'd like to go from for a basketball team. I'd like to go watch Michigan State train. Okay. You know, um, I, lo- I love the way um, they play and the way they're coached. You know, yeah. so if I had a week where I was invited over, that's that's what I'd like to do. Um, myself and Mark Scannell did go over to UNLV uh, a few years ago. We spent a day with Kruger. That was really good. Okay. You know, um, they it was just good to watch them. They used the shot clock like for every situation. Okay. You know, you know like six seconds to go, five seconds to go, two seconds to go, 12 seconds. They just, everything was shot clock, shot clock, shot clock. And they also used their starters against their bench. They never changed the starters. The, start, the starters are the ones that are going to be playing, you know, which is an interesting thing because a lot of the time in the States, they coach the individual to be better because the individual is going to get the scholarship. The individual is going to be, you know, getting the pro contract. They don't, yeah. we tend to coach the teams over here. Yeah. And if like a Brown Cassidy gets good enough for a scholarship, well, that's happy days, but we're coaching the team, you know? Um, and maybe, you know, maybe we should be coaching the individuals a little bit more. You know what I mean? And if you really want to be effective, you should probably be coaching the, the ones that are going to play the most amount of time for you rather than coaching everybody equally. If you want to maximize, if you want to maximize your efficiency, like for like, for, you know, if you, if you coach, say, if you coach 15, 15 your, your best 15 Gaelic players, yeah. if you spend all your time coaching from 16 to 27, you know, you're, the kids that are going to play, you're going to lose out. Now, you'll still involve everybody. Don't get me wrong, especially underage. Like yeah. under 15, it should all be skills, not so much worried about match tactics. Get them all up to a good level, strong group, all that type of stuff, you know. But when they get a bit older, 16, 17, 18, and you're make, making them competitive, you know, now you really need to be honing in on who's going to be, you know, doing the damage for you, you know. Is there any particular coaching book um, or podcast? I don't know if you listen to podcasts that you'd recommend to any of the listeners here. Well, I'm more a reader than a, po- a podcast guy. Um, there was one book of any of the basketball, especially the basketball people, right? It's a uh, stuff good basketball players should know. Found okay. that was one of the best books when I was starting off coaching that I read, you know, stuff that good basketball players should know. Don't ask me who the author is, but, uh, you know, it was a really, it's a really good, I'm sure they can Google it, you know, um, I found that one of the best books, you know. Brilliant. I'm going to move on to the sideline seven. It's the same seven questions at the end of every episode. Um, so you can answer it in a thought provoking or fire around. It's up to you. Uh, question one, what is your favourite quote? If it is to be, it is up to me. Brilliant. Who said that? Gary Blair, golfer. Very good. Do you use quotes with the team at all? Is that something you do or is it not really part of your coaching? Well, they've heard that one. They've heard that one. 
Do you know what I mean? And no, it gets like if something comes to me on the day, or, or I have a feeling about the game or the opponent, or you know, um, I I use them. Yeah, hundred percent use them. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, question two: What's the best sporting event you've been to? Um, best sporting event. As a fan, was it? Yeah, as a fan. Um, I suppose the Ryder Cup. How did you find um, the GA matches? Were you involved on match day? Did you sit with the team, or were you somewhere else, or did you go no, in? No, I sat up in the stand making observations. But then again, that was a job, you know. Like you know, I don't go to those games like cheering on. You know, when Kevin McManaman hit the net with a couple of goals, I said he jumped out of the seats. But I was more, I was more thinking, that's my job, safe rather than happy days for the Dubs. Yeah. You know, um, those type of things. When when you're when you're doing the job, you're really just coaching and trying to remove yourself from the noise yeah. and the emotion of everything. You know, um, even though you're totally helpless, you know, you know, but you you, you kind of are looking for. Did I have any influence on, you know, what they're doing or trying yeah. to help them or, you know, but I definitely have my homework done if I was meeting Mick Bone or Jim Gavin or anybody else for that matter that I was working for. I'd have my homework done for them for the next time on the observations or how we could progress the team or, you know, what we could do, say, if it was a drawn match and there was a replay and yeah. how we would change, you know, what we would change to make sure it's not a replay the next time. Yeah. And was that, were, within your role, like, sorry, I, did, I know I said I wouldn't talk about football much, but when you're bringing, you're coming into the team, are you totally focused on, let's say, the tactical side or are you working maybe individually on skills with players? Was that ever something you did skills-wise? No, no that wouldn't. Um, well, look, I'm coach, coaching Rahini at the moment, right? Rahini individual, right? But like, so that'd be a head coaching role. So it really depends on what the role you're given. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, like there's enough gated coaches there that can teach them to solo the ball, kick the ball, you know, hand pass yeah. the ball, whatever they want, you know. Yeah. Um, if we we're working on passing, you know, yeah. I might enhance the drill. Like okay. Work and say one ball, right? I might do the drill with three balls. Because if they can pass with three and they're on the move, they can pass with one. You know what I mean? So might enhance the drills because I've been doing drills for so long, you know, yeah. and I'd be a big fan of that. You know, like I might ask, why are you doing that drill? Actually, we've always done that drill. I said, exactly. How about this drill? You know, and even if I was coaching kids, you know, I'd be doing a very difficult drill at the start. And you okay. find their focus is amazing and they're trying to master it. And then when you reduce it down to one ball for them, Oh, they find it so easy. So I'd, you know, I'd overpower them at the start. With okay. The you know, there'd be so much going on. They'd be like, oh my God, this is almost too much. And then yeah. it reduced it down to the skill they'd have to use in the game. Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah. Because I, I would naturally do the opposite way because you're trying to, but... That, that's really interesting. I'm definitely going to kind of have a think about that. Um, what's Question three, what's the biggest setback or challenge so far in your career? 
the biggest setback was probably when I went over to Manchester Giants coaching them in the British Basketball League. And um, we had a reduced budget and our my mantra, the job I was given was to keep them from relegation because they knew the budget that they had against some big teams, big money. And we, we lost our first four games. And we, we lost them basically because we had four new Americans and, you know, they hadn't played together and it was all that stuff. And, you know, again, the shooting wasn't up to scratch. So we introduced shooting drills for $10. Okay. So myself and John Lee used to take on like the, the team in pairs for ten dollars. You know, so they would have to pay us ten dollars, you know, if you're shooting up to say twenty-one baskets from four spots. So maybe yeah. five spots, it'd be a hundred shots. Hundred shots, five spots, ten dollars, right? And the first few weeks we won. You know, myself and John Lee won. And then the boys got pissed off from giving us ten dollars. So they stayed back shooting the ball. And guess Brilliant. what happened in the matches? Started shooting. Was better. Percentages were better. Boys were confident. And we started winning the game, some games. But then the biggest disappointment or challenge was 9-11 happened and they lost a major sponsor. So I had, to come back to, I had to come back to Dublin and then resurrect my coaching career again, you know. So okay. that was tough, you know. But mm-hmm. still... If I'm going into a game and I'm feeling a bit wary about it, I'll always go, that's nothing compared to 90,000 people in Crow Park, you know, job online or coaching in Manchester. You're six down, you know, to London Towers. They've just beaten Barcelona in the last round. Now you're playing. I always go. So that's all helps me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's to put interesting. put things in perspective. And what's been your biggest achievement then on or off the court? Um, biggest achievement basketball wise is probably the continued success of DCU Mercy mm-hmm. you know like we're, we're in the top two or three every year if we've not won it or won the cup or won the league you know yeah. we played against some great Glamour teams you know we played against some great UL teams um, you know Wildcats are good right now you know, so teams have fluctuated, clubs have fluctuated up and down, but we've been pretty consistent and being in, in being at the top. And I think that's a good sign of a good coaching structure and, you know, good sponsorship from DCU and having the whole thing, the environment right. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, like, you know, Ken Robson's been a big help to DCU Mercy over the last, you know, 15 years so mm-hmm. sustaining that is is really good brilliant uh, looking back what advice would you give your 18 year old self uh, don't don't wait for opportunities I, I think like I was waiting for an opportunity to be called by Man United or Newcastle as a, you know, honestly yeah as a, as a young player but what I didn't realize was there was daddies over here, you know, like say Ronnie Whelan's dad, who had knowledge of and was writing to clubs, you know, where we were always kind of told, I, you'll be spotted. That might not necessarily 
you know, be be true. Where mm-hmm. even with the scholarships at the moment, you know, coaches in America will hear of Irish kids, but it's no harm to have their video ready, their CV ready, be sending it out there so that yeah. they're ready for those opportunities. Sometimes you have to make the opportunities. So if I was to look back, I probably didn't make enough of my opportunities okay. at young age. But at yeah. the same time, you know, I definitely made more of my opportunities as I got older as a coach. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Uh, who would be your dream dinner guest and why? Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't need to know the reason why. I know. I was watching a movie of hers the other night. That's why I said that. Um, maybe Billy Connolly. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Or Mickey Flanagan. Very good. I'd like a good laugh. Final question before I let you go. You've been so generous with your time. Uh, if your life was a book, what chapter would this be called? Yeah, to start. To start. Excellent. Look, Mark, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate that. All right. See you. big thanks to Mark for joining me on the podcast today I just want to wish him and the rest of the GCU Super League women's team the very best of luck with the rest of the season if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you haven't done so already please do leave a rating and a review as it does help the show grow be sure to visit the website thesidelinelive.com for more exclusive content such as player diaries and blogs which are coming every week thank you as always for listening and I'll catch you in the next one